Amen. Thank you, Lord, for Calvary. Thank you, dear Lord. Amen. Well, my friends, I believe most of you know that we have a radio ministry, a radio program each week, and essentially the radio program broadcasts usually the previous week's message on Joy 1250 Radio Sunday mornings at uh, 10.30 and on some other occasions as well. I thought you might be interested in the following. This past Wednesday, after the funeral, funeral visitation, actually towards the end of a funeral visitation that I uh, was a part of, uh, I led a brief service at the funeral home and then at the end, a gentleman, maybe in his 40s or 50s, came up to me. Mike, he came up to me and, and, and he said, as soon as I heard you speaking, I knew it was Pastor Nick. And I said, how's that? And he said, well, because I listen to your radio program every week. But, he said, but, he said, from your deep voice, I always thought you were an old guy. <laughs> he said, I, I thought you were a much older man. And he said, now that I see you, he, he said, man, you're, you're a young guy. You're a young man. You're a young man. <laughs> Brother Ray, I said to him, brother, you got good eyesight. You got good eyesight. <laughs> uh, so I tell you that just for the benefit of those who just wonder if I'm looking old, uh, you know, it might just be your eyesight. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so he expressed appreciation for the messages from uh, our church, including Pastor Lisa's outstanding messages. All right, let's turn please to Genesis chapter 37 as we continue our series on Joseph, this is part five. The story of Joseph, as I've said, is the story of a young man who at the age of 17 experienced such a very high degree of jealousy and rejection by his brothers that they liter literally wanted to kill him. Obviously that was terrible. Let's review the story beginning at chapter 37, verse 18 where it says, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, when they saw him coming towards them in the field, they recognized him in the distance, and as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father, a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of this dreamer and what becomes of his dreams. Verse 21, but when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this em empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. I always love that verse, I love it. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, 
They looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone. What will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family, his family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray, O oh God, that you would just uh, help each of us to, to be impacted by the truth of your word and all that we share in this message today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. My friends, when we read of how Joseph was thrown into a cistern, or more simply put, a, a pit, uh, I've mentioned before that a cistern collected rainwater and Joseph's brothers threw him into this dry cistern. Most of us will hopefully never find ourselves in the kind of pit that Joseph was in, but sometimes we find ourselves in different kinds of pits which the Lord wants to help us get out of. As I said last week, when I use the word pit in this message, I'm talking about the, the place or the situation that we don't want to be in, that we don't want to be in. Joseph certainly did not want to be in that pit, in that cistern. And usually it's a, it's a place or a situation that causes us pain uh, or suffering of one sort or another. Last week we talked about the pit of loneliness, the pit of loneliness and also the bully pit. Now today, I want us to consider, first of all, the pit of being treated like a product or thing instead of a person. Instead of being treated as a person. Stick with me and I trust you'll see what we're talking about. This comes to my mind from the fact that Joseph's brothers in verses 25 through 36 
decided to sell Joseph as a slave. They sold him for 20 pieces of silver, which one scholar says it would have been about $200. Now, obviously, selling him was much better than, than leaving him in the pit, in the cistern to die, but it is still sad, very sad, that a group of brothers were willing to treat Joseph as a piece of merchandise, as a, as a product or a thing, instead of treating him as a precious brother, as a dear person. Now the good news is, some of you here grew up as children, feeling like your, your parents and others treated you as a, a prince or a princess. And if that's the case, that's, that's wonderful. How many of you grew up feeling like you were being treated a, like, like a prince or a princess? Let, let me just see, a show of hands. Uh, uh, oh, well, that's good, but uh, that's not many hands. Uh, I don't know if you're just too shy to admit. Uh, Bobita, I, I'm so glad to see that hand go up. Uh, yes, yes. Your mom and dad treated you like a princess, didn't they? Yes, indeed. All right. That, that's wonderful. Now, sadly, sadly, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but sadly, others of you grew up as children feeling, feeling like you were a piece of merchandise, a product, or, or a thing instead of being treated as a highly valued family member. Some of you grew up feeling like you were nothing more than your parents or your brothers or sisters gopher, right? You, you grew up feeling like you were their gopher or in some cases their punching bag. And what you remember, what you remember is perhaps your father or mother or sibling constantly saying, go for this and go for that and bring me this and do that and do that and go for that and do your chores or else and Look after your brother. Look after your sister while I go out. And, and some of you can identify with that. And uh, if you weren't the kind of gopher that you were supposed to be or expected to be, you were punished, right? And sometimes you were punished very badly. Now, I want to be clear that certainly I believe children and youth should have to do some chores around the house or apartment or condo. It's a part of growing up and developing responsibility. But what I'm referring to, what I'm referring to is, is situations in which a, a child or a teenager was treated more as a piece of merchandise or a product or a thing instead of being treated as a very highly favored and highly valued family member. That's what I'm talking about. Then there are others of you who grew up being treated even worse than a piece of merchandise. Some of you were sadly physically abused. I remember watching a movie um, on New Year's Eve that we showed right here in our church. It was an excellent movie, but I remember there was a scene where the angry father physically beat his son 
very badly, and I hated watching that scene. And, and I, when, I, when I watched that scene, I, I cringed, I cringed, and, and I thought, man, how, how could you do that? And I wanted to climb up on the screen and, and stop that father, you know, stop him, stop him. And if you remember that movie, you would have probably felt the same way. Unfortunately, some of you experienced physical abuse. Some of you experienced emotional abuse, and others of you, sadly, sexual abuse. And if that's the case, as your pastor, I am so sorry. I wish those things had not happened to you. And some of you are still wrestling with them. May the Lord help you. May the Lord help you. Here is a word especially to, to men, to men who are single and dating. Men, be very careful not, whether you're a teenager or an older, be very careful not to treat any woman as if she is a piece of merchandise designed for your pleasure. Treat her, treat her as, as a whole person who is a, a special creation of God. Amen? Don't take advantage of a woman. Don't take advantage of ladies. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2 says, treat older women as you would, you would treat your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Amen? 1 Timothy 5 verse 2. All right? Now you ladies, you ladies should be all excited what I just said. You should be saying, preach it, brother. Preach it, pastor. Amen. Okay, thank you. My, my wife is messing me up this morning because I'm used to her sitting over there and, and, and I thought, where is she? And then I hear her voice. She's, she's over here. She's just, I don't know, really messing with my mind today. <laughs> you know, when you're used to seeing people in certain spots, when they're out of place, it's like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> anyway, uh, it doesn't matter. Well, maybe. <laughs> All right. My friends, if, you know what? Let, let's read that verse from the screen. Uh, thank you, Raven, for putting it up. Thank you, Raven, for doing the PowerPoint. Appreciate it so much. Read it together, okay? First Timothy 5.2. Treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Amen? Now, if you grew up in the, in the, kind, of, uh, in the kind of a pit where you were treated like a piece of merchandise or worse, I, um, I, wa I want to ask you to kind of give attention to the following. Think about the following. If you're making notes, uh, point A is this. It wasn't, it wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault that you were mistreated. All right? Point B. If feelings of anger and bitterness and resentment are still there, talk with a pastor or a counselor to help you. We have a group here in our church that can also help you if you speak with me. 
All right? Point C. Pray for the Lord to help you overcome your hurt. Ask the Lord to help you. Point D. Make a decision. Make a decision to not repeat the cycle of what you went through. Sometimes, sometimes grown-ups repeat what they went through. That's why I'm including this here. Do not repeat the cycle of what you went through or your grandparents also went through and so on. And point E, forgive the person or persons who mistreated you. I know that's tough. I know that's tough. One of the amazing things about Joseph in the Bible is that when we, when we come to the end of his story, we discover that even, even though Joseph's brothers treated him, treated him like a piece of merchandise, even though they sold him as a slave for 200 bucks, in the end, he forgave them. He forgave them. And eventually, when Joseph became second in command in Egypt, and there was a, a big famine for many years, which forced his brothers to go to Egypt to beg for, for grain, to beg for food, and to buy food. After they discovered the ruler was actually their brother Joseph, Joseph, they were, they were very afraid. They were, they were terrified. They were afraid as to what Joseph was going to do to them. But, but here, is, here is a verse, here are a couple of verses that have always just, just incredibly touched my heart, which I would hope touch your heart. Let's look at these verses here. Read them together. Genesis 50, verses 19 through 21. Read them out loud together. But Joseph replied, that is, Joseph replied to his brothers when they were really afraid as to what he was going to do to them. Go on now. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he re reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Aren't those incredible words from a man who was so mistreated by his brothers? May the Lord also help you to climb out of the pit of being treated perhaps like a, a product or like a piece of merchandise or, or a thing instead of the precious person that you are. Amen? Let me take you to the second truth today, the second pit, and it is this. The pit of being forced to take a job you don't really want. This truth uh, comes to mind from the whole story, but from verse 36 specifically. Let's read it together. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. Now, I understand, of course, that verse 36 doesn't say 
Joseph, it doesn't say Joseph didn't want to be a slave in Potiphar's house, but I'm very sure that being a slave anywhere was not something he intended or ever dreamed about, right? He, he had been his father's favorite child as a boy and now as a 17-year-old teenager. His father had spoiled him big time. Being a slave in anyone's house, being a slave in Potiphar's house was, was not on his agenda. But given the circumstances, he was forced to take a job he didn't really want. Across the years, some of you here were also forced. You were forced to take a job you didn't really want. In fact, some of you right now are perhaps in a job you don't really want to be in. The job you have perhaps feels like slave labor. Sometimes maybe that's what you thought. And perhaps you can identify with, with Joseph and how he felt. And maybe, maybe at different times you said to yourself, you know what, I, I didn't sign up for this. I, I, I should have got a better job than this. I was looking for the ideal job, but I've ended up with the ordeal job. O-R-D-E-A-L. From ideal to ordeal. Wherever Joseph went, and whatever job he found himself in, Joseph did his best. Joseph did his best for the Lord. He served with his whole heart, trying to honor God with excellent work and excellent character. Pastor Rick Warren says something wonderful. He says, in this case, Joseph took demeaning work, D-E-M-E-A-N-I-N-G, he took demeaning work, the work of a slave, and he gave it meaning. How? By doing it for God instead of for a human master. He saw God as his boss, not some human as his boss. He took everything as a task for God. His excellence stood out, and so he actually got promoted by his master. My friend... If you find yourself in a job that you, you don't really want to be in, can I suggest that you think about the following? Think about the following. A, try doing your job as if you are working for the Lord. All right? Colossians 3, 23. Read it out loud with me from the big screen. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Point B. Ask yourself, does God want me to be here for some reason to, to use me, for example, to help someone come to faith in Jesus? Is, is, 
have I ended up in this place because the Lord wants me to be here to make a spiritual impact upon someone or several people in this department, in this workplace? Point C. Ask yourself, does God want me to be here to bring fresh joy to coworkers and or to, to the customers? Think about that. The, the reason this particular idea, this point came to my mind, point uh, C, is because this, this past week, when I went to my bank, the, the folding partition, you know, a lot of these banks have these folding partitions. They're kind of see-through folding partitions that kind of separate the uh, bank machine area from the main part of the branch. Well, the folding partition separating the bank machine area from the main branch was, was mostly closed, except for just a wee bit. Now, I knew, I knew it wasn't closing time. It wasn't closing time. Um, and, and I was kind of perplexed. I thought, uh, I wonder what's happening. Then a security guard who was standing at the little opening jokingly, jokingly said something like, uh, Sir, today... <laughs> he, said, he said something like, he said, Today, <laughs> we're only letting special people in. <laughs> you qualify. <laughs> you qualify. <laughs> Come in through here. Come in through here. Welcome to our bank, he said. We're so glad you're here. <laughs> Partitions closed. We're so glad you're here. <laughs> I thought, are they giving money away or something? <laughs> anyway, I passed through the gate, and, uh, and then I went to the little line, waited in line. I, I listened to the security guard greet other customers while I was waiting in line, and, and uh, as, as he greeted other customers, it was just very interesting, and uh, he, was, he was greeting people in a very fun-filled way, in a very fun-filled way while I was in a little lineup to see the bank teller. And as I listened to the security guard having fun with customers as they walked into the bank, I thought, I thought, you know what? Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this marvelous? This security dear man is adding a lot of joy to people just, just by welcoming them and greeting them and saying what he was saying, not just to me, but to the other customers as well. Um, he was just being a blessing. He was adding joy to each person who walked in and, and to each person who was going out. As people were going out, he's saying, thanks for, for doing your banking here. Well, we hope to see you again, and uh, uh, we wish you a wonderful day, and just, just very simple things like that. And it was, probably, it was probably the most enjoyable visit to the bank I have ever had. <laughs> uh, Pastor Lisa, yeah, it really, it really was. Uh, when I finished my banking with the teller, I took a few minutes to uh, talk with him and discovered that he had been a security guard for, I believe, over 30 years, over 30 years, and uh, he told me he just loves interacting with people. I thought, man, this guy would be a great church greeter, you know? <laughs> and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the next time uh, I have to go to the bank that, that he'll still be there. 
And if that security guard is there, I'm going to write the bank manager a letter saying, dear manager, make sure you keep this man. He's great for business, you know? Well, I told you that story to just say, does God want you to be at a job that you really don't want, but maybe, maybe the Lord wants you there to bring fresh joy to coworkers or to, to customers? Make sense? Yeah? There is no doubt that Joseph was thrown into a big pit by his brothers, a pit that was more technically known as a cistern because it collected rain water out in the fields. It occurred to me, I'd say about a week ago, that the brothers, the brothers who threw Joseph into the pit were actually in a bigger pit themselves. Stick with me. The brothers were actually in a bigger pit themselves. Now it's true, they weren't in a physical pit, but they were in a pit that affects millions of people. I was trying to figure out what to call that pit. And that leads me to our third truth today. I decided to call it, number three, the pit of the heart of darkness. The pit of the heart of darkness. In 1899, Joseph Conrad wrote a book called Heart of Darkness. Perhaps you studied it in high school or university. I think it was in high school that I read it and studied it. In the book, Joseph Conrad narrates a voyage up the Congo River into the Congo Free State in the heart of Africa. The book presents the idea that there is little difference, there is little difference between, quote, civilized people and people sometimes described as, quote, savages. In my opinion, in the book Heart of Darkness, what the author is saying is that no matter where you go, no matter where you go, people have a heart of darkness. Sometimes, sometimes it is called the tendency towards sin or the, uh, the bent towards evil or the sinful nature or the carnal nature. There are different words that over the years have sometimes been used. Uh, what, are, what are some of the characteristics of a heart of darkness. What are some of the characteristics? Well, we see some of those characteristics displayed, demonstrated by Joseph's brothers. Here are some of the characteristics. 
of the heart of darkness. For instance, hatred. Hatred, I mean, if you were to read Genesis 37, verse 4a and verse 8, you see, you see the, 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 the hatred that was in their heart towards their brother. Uh, another characteristic was un, unkindness. Unkindness. You read of it again in Genesis 37, second part of verse 4. Also, we, we see willingness, willingness to, to kill, a willingness to kill their own brother. I mean, what is that? You see that they were heartless, heartless in Genesis 37, verse 24. You see also that they were self-centered, self-centered. In, in 30, uh, Genesis 37, verse 26, they say, what, what will we gain? They're talking about how, how, how they can gain, what they will gain from their brother by selling him, by doing whatever. How, how, how can we gain? They were self-centered. And then, of course, they were deceitful. Deceitful. Genesis 37, 31. They deceived, they deceived their, 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 their father. Verse 30, 31 says, Then the brothers, the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in the blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Uh, you ever notice that? They say, doesn't this belong to your son? They should have been saying, doesn't this belong to our brother? Right? Verse 33, their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it's my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. So they, they deceived their father. Deception. Uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Read it out loud from the big screen. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is. What am I saying, my friends? I'm saying these brothers were, were dominated by the heart of darkness. Do you, do you identify with any of the characteristics we see in, in Joseph's brothers? That's just a little summary. It's not a total list. Now what? What did Joseph's Brothers need to experience. And what do you and I need to experience? Well, we need to experience what the following verses talk about. Psalm 51, verse 7. We need to experience this reality. Read the verse with me. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. We need to cry out to God for him to purify our hearts, to purify, to clean us up on the inside so we have the right spirit, we have the right motives. Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. This is what David cried out. Create in me a clean heart, O God. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, we know, read it with me, 
We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Amen. In Romans 6.14, sin is no longer your master. That's what God says. He doesn't want sin. He doesn't want the evil force to be in control of us. He wants the Spirit of God to be in control of your heart and mine. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 declares, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He will do it. If you were to turn to, to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, at, at verse 5, it says, So put to death, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now, but now is the time to get rid. Get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature. You, you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Verse 10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Isn't that beautiful? And become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Verse 12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, Clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Amen. What these verses and other Bible verses like them, my friends, tell us is that you and I, you and I do not have to be controlled by the heart of darkness or whatever you want to call it. You and I, you and I can be freed from the pit. We can be freed from the pit and the power of the heart of darkness and we can live holy lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful to know that with your help and through your power and through your presence, through your purity, 
we can experience victory over these various pits that we've been talking about. And I pray, dear God, that you would help each man, each woman, each teenager, each young person to experience victory, to climb out of whatever pit we find ourselves in. We don't always understand everything. We don't understand all that's happened to us in the past, present, or, or probably even in the future. But we do understand that you love us. And because you love us, you want to help us climb out of the pits or pits that we find ourselves in. Just as, just as you helped Joseph climb out of his pit and eventually climb into the palace. Lord, I understand very well that this truth affects all of us in different ways, but I ask that you would help each one in accordance with their need. And dear God, we're thankful to know that you have helped us to also climb, to climb out of the pit of hell, to know that, that when our time on earth comes to an end, our eternal home is in heaven with Jesus and not in hell. We're thankful that our heavenly home is with you. And so, Lord, may you help each one of us to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, to be wholly devoted to you and to know that, that our lives are in your hands, that each one of us has put our heart, our life in the hand of the Master, and that we can say, yes, yes, my life is in the hands of the Lord. Let it be so. And now... Dear Lord, as we prepare to receive communion, I pray that you would help everyone here. If as yet we have not made our peace with you, I pray that you would help each one of us to make our peace with you. Hear the individual prayers. Dear people, if this prayer expresses the desire of your heart, would you pray it right where you are? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. On this special Sunday, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me, dear Lord. I believe I can be forgiven because Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. I receive your forgiveness by faith and now I want, to, I want to receive Holy Communion. I want to celebrate the Lord's Supper as a part of the family of God, for I have put my faith and trust in Jesus, and I want to live my life devoted to Jesus. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.